Well, hello there, mate. How are you? Very well, mate. How are you? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, travelling along, still keeping somewhat sane. How's life treating you? Oh, you know, it's uh, it's not bad. Look, honestly, with everything going on and everything being considered, it's actually not too bad. It's a bit how you go. Oh, not even. It's, it's, it's okay. It's just yeah. okay. Look, we're managing life. We are managing life. Look, for me, it's been uh, a, a bit of a crazy couple of weeks. Um, mm-hmm. obviously with, uh, you know, starting a new job and mm-hmm. kind of, uh, getting into a more grown up style of life. Um, that always has its, uh, pleasantries. Um, it sounds but, very you know, unpleasant. yeah, I know. I was just trying to sugarcoat, um, basically how sad with my life I actually am. <laughs> yeah. Adulting. <laughs> yeah. Literally, literally hashtag adulting, hashtag failure, hashtag life. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> is So is this another hashtag hashtag or hashtag hashtag? Uh, you know, you know, but unless people are aware of that episode, that joke <laughs> is going to mean nothing to people. <laughs> oh fucking hell! So, um, it's been a bit of a been a bit of a big week as of late. We had two of the next, well, the next gen consoles finally dropped for pre orders. That was pretty mm-hmm. nuts. I managed to get my hands on a pre order for the Series X Xbox, so I'm mm, fucking got your hands with that. on it. Oh, I did. Oh, can't wait to wrap my arms around it. Hello, Xbox. You're new. You're like my new mistress. It pretty much is. I <laughs> know. I don't doubt that for a second. <laughs> it's definitely more faithful. <laughs> and they don't speak back. No, they don't. <laughs> yeah. So, did you obviously did you come across the or hear about the whole debacle with all the pre-ordering stuff? No, dude. It was a fucking mess. Why? What happened? Absolute mess. So, for example, with uh, with the PlayStation, right? So Sony announced the PlayStation Five and the price points and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then basically said that from the next day, people can start pre-ordering it, and pretty much majority of the retailers were like, "On, um, okay, well, shit." Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, it just it just went to shit, and they basically sold out for I think three shipments worth, from what I remember. Mm-hmm. So some people won't be getting their PlayStations until early to mid January twenty twenty one. Stop it! No, legit. That is going to lead to a lot of devastated people. Oh god, yeah. Um, and it's funny um, that also majority of the people that live in Western Australia, because of the time difference, actually missed out completely. Oh, no way. Yeah. Apparently they all sold out before they even had a chance. Well, fuck Western Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a bit of a similar story with the Xbox as well. So I did the um, the diligent thing and jumped on pretty much on the dot at 8 o'clock in the morning, got yep. my shit done. Um, and from what I heard, by quarter past nine, all done. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I suppose, do you know what? It doesn't surprise me anymore with the extent of, you know, how many gamers are out there now. Like, the numbers and the population of gaming is just increasing twofold. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's going to be pretty crazy for the next few months. Is there any in particular game that you're looking forward to playing on the new Xbox? Well, originally it was going to be the new Halo. I was looking yep. very, very forward to that, but that has been pushed back. But you know what? In regards to that, only because I've sort of dipped my toes into the game-making industry, so to speak. Yeah. When I hear of games being pushed back, to me, that's like, you know what? That's cool. Take your time to get shit right. 
It's kind of refining the process. Exactly. Don't rush to a deadline to get something finished that you're just going to have to patch and patch and patch and make better. Yeah. You know okay. What? Take your time. Get it right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I'm more than happy for them to push it back. That's fine. But yeah, it was going to be Halo, but now without that, um, I'm going to stick to my usual, especially with the new expansion coming out. Fucking Destiny, mate. I can't wait. God. New expansion, a whole lot more to do. Fucking bring it. So in other words, another 2,000 hours of not being able to shoot. Oh, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) You're such an easy target. Oh, wait, you'd probably miss that target as well. I'll get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, oh, I think we've waffled on for long enough. How about we uh, kick this off? Man, this is Rebels Without a Clue. So this week, um, we thought we'd go with another film this time. I know we haven't done like a, a topic or any sort of other medium as of late. I think we've been a bit lazy and just done movie after movie recently, haven't we? But I suppose when you think about it, being on lockdown, um, it's kind of a good chance to have a bit of a refresher and catch up on any kind of movies that we haven't watched as of yet before all the new movies and content starts rolling out next year. That's very true. And as you know, and as I've been sort of just uh, t- keeping you informed about my my catch-up that I've been doing at work. with the Bucket list. Bucket list of movies. Legit. I have been going through a bucket list of movies that I either, A, haven't got around to watching, or B, um, just wanting to revisit. Yes, and which is necessary at times. Yeah, and I've gone through a decent amount of movies. I'd say I'm close to the... Th- like between 30 to 35 movies so far. And if I can put in context for everyone, just to kind of give an indication, Tony was had never kind of an avid movie watcher. So Tony did a lot of TV series and animes and all sorts of kind of stuff, Correct. but definitely pushed down a path of movies, which, you know, I feel like a proud father. <laughs> You'd be <laughs> proud to know that I'm... Like today I've managed to get through... Finished off Full Metal Jacket... Yep. Um, and I'm three quarters done with G.I. Jane. What have, what have you thought so far? Uh, she's she's a bit of a badass. She is a bit of a badass, but I think the point I'm up to where she's kind of thrown in the towel, oh, I thought it was very yep. much unlike her character, but I haven't finished it yet, so I can't really comment too much yet. Quality ending. But yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been pretty cool. But you know what? It's been movies as of late, like you said, because, well, there's... Not much content to go around, except for, uh, I think, next month when we finally get season two of The Mandalorian. Yes, we are going to be all over that. Do you know what? It might not even be a situation where it's episode play-by-play situation. You know what? I'm, You know me. I'm totally down for that. So maybe we do it kind of in segments of half an hour podcasts based off each episode rather than an hour trying to kind of you know, string it along and make sense of the whole season. Let's do it weekly based off per episode and mm-hmm. do a breakdown in 30-minute segments. Yeah, I'm I'm down with that, like definitely. But I've got a feeling that we're going to aim for a half an hour time frame, but we'll shoot over that. But you know what? Even if it ends up being like 40, 45 minutes, I'm happy to do that as well because like it's so easy to get on and talk about that. Oh, especially that series. It's just... Fucking phenomenal. I can't wait for this new season. 
Um, did you see the breakdown of all the directors that were part of the filming of season two? Uh, I think briefly, but refresh me. Yeah, so John Favreau got, I think, three episodes for this one. Only three. Uh, well, it's it's not a super long series. Remember that it's, though. It's eight episodes, so he's virtually got almost half, half of the season. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, very, very keen to uh, see. Did um did, did is Taika involved in this season? Oh, I don't think I saw his name ah, this season. Dude. I I think Bryce Dallas Howard had another episode, uh-huh. and I don't I didn't know the other names. But I okay. think they had some affiliation with the first season. Cool, 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 cool. So cool. it's in good hands. Oh, yeah. Look, I've said it how many times now? I don't need to re- keep reiterating. But, yes, yeah, so this week I thought... Um, um, do you want to run through formalities first? Oh, I suppose I better, eh? Um, if you haven't done so already, guys, be sure to go like and subscribe us on Anchor, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, or whatever other podcast platform you use. Also, follow us on our social medias on Instagram, Rebels Without a Clue 03, Twitter, Rebels Without a 1, Facebook, Rebels Without a Clue podcast, and also on the Generation Random Network Facebook page, as well as the Generation Random Discord. Um, so, where you can either get in contact with us or any of the other Generation Random family, as uh, with uh, mates like we've had on the show, Chris, um, who does Generation Random as well as Thanks But No Thanks, which I think <clears throat> someone's going to be <clears throat> a guest <clears throat> on it again. And dreading now. Uh, <laughs> um, thanks But No Thanks and uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, plus you've got It's Beefar, who's usually streaming on Twitch, as well as Rabona and and a few others. So um, if you're up for – there's plenty of content on that on them, so jump in and fucking have a crack. Have a little bit of a crack. Yeah, All right. So, Tony, what movie did we do this week? All right. So, this week, I thought I'd pose or suggest a film to watch. Now, this is one I saw the trailer for it before it was about to come out two years ago. And it, I was interested back then. And, I, and of course, knowing me, I never fucking got around to it. But I think I, I saw it when I was passing at work and I saw the cover. I'm like, oh, fuck, I totally forgot about that movie. I ought to watch that again. Or oh, I got to watch it actually. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, yeah, let's do it for the pod. And the movie this week is Necrotronic. Yes, a very, very interesting kind of left-of-centre Australian film. I know, another Australian film, and it was cool to see upon the opening credits from the creators of Wormwood. Fucking A. Which, if anyone doesn't know, we actually did a podcast episode on Wormwood and were thoroughly impressed with the Australian dabbling in different cinema. And, like, I don't know if you can resonate with this, T, but, like, I suppose with Australian cinema, it's, you know, it's kind of very dramatic-based. It's very drama-oriented. Really serious storylines is what I've noticed. Yeah. But this one that we watched, along with, like, Wormwood, and that, another one that he actually mentioned, Tony, what was the one, the other movie that they've done called? Oh, um, hold on. It is, pardon me. Uh, Demon Runner. Demon Runner. Or so, Demon Runner, however you pronounce it. But yeah, it's um, yeah. There's a. I'm just coming across all these sort of, I guess, sci-fi sort of action movies from Australia, like from Australian producers and directors, and it's and it's sort of like I didn't realize that they were there. I'm like, oh, okay, these are actually not terrible, and they look no. pretty cool. 
And and I think it's interesting because, you know, for so long, America has always been the hub of anything quality when it comes to sci-fi or, you know, any kind of, you know, fantasy-based style stuff. But yeah. I think what I've been most impressed by is the fact that they're making these movies here in Australia and they're incorporating the Australian kind of humour within it. Yeah. So, yeah. like, for example, obviously, Rangi, one of the characters. He surprisingly isn't a ranger. He's not a ranger. He's no. named Rangi, but he's Polynesian, and he honestly is the best comedic relief. And I think, you know, there's this real niche for it, because after you think about what was the Rock character's name in Thor? I was just about to look that up. I can't remember his freaking name. Oh, shit. Um, I should be shot for this. Yeah, you should. Uh, Let me think, let me think, let me think, let me think. No, it's slipping. It's slipping. I feel like it's on slipping. Korg, Korg, Korg. Yeah, he literally, it was very, like, it just reminded me of Korg, the character. Just Not just because he was Polynesian, but the kind of humour he brought to it, his timing, that sort of style, it was very reminiscent of Korg. Yes, yes. And I I was really pleasantly surprised by how seamlessly they incorporated that because, you know, sometimes it's overemphasized and it's like, we get it, it's funny, and the Kiwi accent is funny. But no, not funny in the, in the sense as like Australians taking stabs at New Zealanders, but funny in the way it's used in comedy. Like, I yeah. can really, really appreciate how good it was. And I think, you know, with what Australia is doing now, venturing into a market we've never really been prominent in so Mm. for me it's kind of really nice to see this refreshing take on incorporating australian kind of real authentic film with australian humor and you know not trying to have australian actors doing american accents for to make it more familiar for the audience it was just so kind of typical and quintessential australian yeah yeah, exactly. And I think the most surprising thing I found is just a couple of people they had in the cast that were some pretty big names. Like, for example, you had one of the main characters played by Monica Bellucci. And then she's a big fucking da- name. And um and David Wenham. David Wenham. Oh, like Yep. Whoa. Okay. An Aussie film getting some pretty big international stars. That's impressive. And I think what, you know, obviously looking at Monica Bellucci, she really doesn't do much apart from, like, she's been in, obviously, a lot of French cinema. She did, you know, a whole bunch of American films, I suppose, most notably number two for The Matrix. Matrix Reloaded, I'm bitch um, So fact, hot in that. Oh, I know. But the fact that Screen Australia, in making this movie, have managed to land someone like Monica Bellucci, regardless of, you know, if she's been in huge amounts of movies overseas or not, but it just kind of gave credibility to the project that, you know, it's starting to be taken seriously, which is kind of nice to know that we're not just kind of doing the same movies over and over. And like, this is a big call that I'm going to make, but I feel like there may be a bigger market heading like within Australia um, as opposed to taking all the huge projects over to the States to film. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And I think from what we've seen thus far, I mean, for me personally, I'm only judging this opinion off two films. So mm-hmm. obviously this one and um, and Wormwood. Yep. But just those two movies have, I guess, 
given me this sort of inkling that they're heading on the right path. Yes. It still needs refinement, but they get it the but I reckon they can achieve it pretty fucking quickly. Yeah, well I think like the raw data of what the films are is kind of a really nice foundation and something to play with. Yeah. Um because you know with sci-fi it can be really hit or miss. Mm. And I'd like to see, obviously, you know, once they start building a solid foundation to start building big projects. So, like, you know, potentially, you know, obviously Lord of the Rings was filmed in New Zealand. They had the most stellar cast. And again, you know, it helps when you've got Peter Jackson as a director. But Peter Jackson's a native of New Zealand. Yeah, but even so, you'd still identify Lord of the Rings as an American film. Of course, of course. Notably so. But what I'm saying is it would be nice to start seeing the Australian film market gain some traction and credibility because there are certain films that carry weight over in the States, but it's not often that that happens. So I'd really like to see us build a really solid base for Australian film to kind of have a platform to take off. Yeah, and especially in, I guess, a bigger variety of different types of films. What would what kind of movie would you love to see? Like, um, that Australia would make. Like, what sort of genre do you think we'd be really, really good at? Honestly, I'm liking the track that these two movies are on. So the kind yes. of the that kind of action demon hunting or zombie apocalypse style movies. I think that in an Australian sort of setting, I find is really entertaining. And and you know how the Yanks fucking lose their shit about Australians, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they fucking love us. Yeah. I think giving them more exposure to that and maybe getting the movies more out there, so maybe having bigger, like some bigger notable like American actors brought into the film with a major, a majorly Aussie cast yeah, would really sort of highlight it and make, make them sort of want to see it and be exposed to going, hey, this is actually pretty cool for an Aussie film. Yeah. And, I and, really and love those Aussies. It's really interesting, like you hit the nail on the head when you said kind of coming out here because the setting, we have kind of one of the best countries to film in terms of post-apocalyptic. Yeah. You could go to the outback and it's like desolate. It's kind of exactly the scenery you need. And like not to mention, you know, between a desolate outback, the most beautiful beaches, this sounds like a fucking infomercial for Australia, (laughs) but... All you right, know Lara what? Bingle. I know. <laughs> Come to Australia. Look at my boobs. Where the bloody hell are you? Oh, God, that's disgusting. I hate that <laughs> tagline. It just makes us like the rednecks of the world when we have someone like that. Oh, we kind of are. Come on. Yeah, let's not get ourselves. Um, but what I'm kind of getting at is Australia has a lot to offer in terms of landscapes. So depending on what kind of style of film, like when the way they did Wormwood out in the bush it was so perfect for what that movie was. Mm. And I'm really intrigued now because, you know, I want to start exploring. And I don't know if you're down for this, but maybe we kind of do a little bit of research and discovery on what kind of Australian movies we can find with kind of like a sci-fi background just to see whether any of these others have any credibility to them. Yeah, and I'm surprised that, like, for example, these types of movies and, like I was saying before, trying to get bigger exposure, that we don't already get some big 
Aussie name actors that are really big in the States. For example, like your Chris Hemsworths and uh, and your Hugh Jackmans and all that sort of thing to get into these Aussie films to give it that international audience. Yeah, that's so in. true. So true. Um, I don't know if you've heard of a movie called Tomorrow When the War Began. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. That That's probably one of the better Australian movies that I've watched. It's kind of... Um, do you remember the movie Red Dawn? Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly... Wolverines! Yeah, literally exactly the same as that. Um, okay. But obviously just a more simplified premise. Um, but what I'm getting at is, like I said, there is this kind of platform that they're really starting to build now, which I'm kind of intrigued because I feel like we've developed this path that, like you said, if we can get the right sort of actors involved, who knows what could potentially arise from that? Oh, definitely. And, it, and it'll be a big boon to the Australian cinema like community. And economy as well. Hell yeah. When you've got movies like huge, huge productions coming here to do stuff, then, you know, I don't see why that can't be. And look, you think that's potentially job creating as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm saying. So very, very interesting kind of, you know, we're at kind of the precipice of something big taking off, but I definitely want to explore that kind of Australian cinema a little bit more and just see what I can find in terms of sci-fi or, you know, post-apocalyptic or horror, anything like like Because, you know, I think Australian does horror exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. Um, like I look at the Babadook and yeah, that, that's kind of obviously the standout. But there's um, Lake Mungo was another one that I was so impressed by. The Tunnel is another one that's super impressed. Um, so, yeah, I think it's definitely kind of an avenue that I'm willing to explore um, at the, in the near future, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, anyways. So, let's... let's uh, Storyline. Tell me what your thoughts are. How, how about before we do that, give, me, give the audience a little bit of a rundown of kind of what the story looked like. I was actually just about to do that. So, I'll just give you the, the quips and... The quip? The quip? The quip synopsis. The quip synopsis. Um, the quick synopsis of the film. So, uh, a man who discovers that he is part of a secret sect of magical beings who hunt down and destroy demons in the internet. Okay. To me, already, as soon as I read that, I'm like, that sounds cool. Okay, but I tell you what, like, there'd be a lot of people that'd be like, if they're not as big of a nerd as you, then I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of skepticism around kind of the idea of that as a premise yeah. for a movie. Yeah. But I think you draw, I think they were already, you draw people in straight away with like hunting down demons. It, it, it's like an absolute open door thing with that. Yeah. Like you kind of hear that and you're like, Oh, I want to go into that. Yeah. It's always like, I think anything to do with the occult always has, always has a lure. Everyone wants, Why? I think I anyone to- in any sort of sense likes to watch stuff to do with the occult. Okay, so question. Why do you think that is? What's the appeal behind it? I think it still has the stigma that it had back in, let's say, the 60s when it was kind of used virtually as a marketing tool to to get people into it because it's still conceived as, like, taboo, you know? It's the Mm -hmm. sort of stuff that you shouldn't be into and it's kind of wrong. I think it's that kind of a law that that you're looking at something you're not supposed to. I think that's what draws a lot of people in. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. And, you know, with, I suppose, demons, like you think of 
how popular like paranormal activity was. Yeah. And once that kind of happened, and like I know it's a combination of found footage and whatever, and like obviously that's appealing in itself. Yeah. But the whole idea of like demons and possession and all that, that's so just, you know, it's such an intriguing watch because there's so many different kind of facades that you can take and ideas and representations of it. And I think this movie did it in a way that I haven't seen it really done like that before. Yeah, me neither. Like, and you think even like, let's say the whole demons thing and let's say using paranormal as an example, I mean, another great example is Constantine. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, I suppose with Constantine, you know, when you get a front man like Keanu Reeves, there's already the appeal behind that. But yeah, the way they kind of did, and this we're not going to go into too much about Constantine because that could be an episode in itself. Yeah, which we should do at some point, definitely. Yeah, but well, the way well Halloween is coming up. Oh, so well, maybe for the month of October, we choose four kind of reasonably. It's kind of my favorite time of the month because I can try and convince Tony to watch semi horror movies. Hmm. <laughs> I already see a floor in your plan. What? October Mando's coming out. Oh, I hate my life. <laughs> and I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I get what you're trying to do, but I'm not doing that over Mandalorian. Sorry. No, of course not, and neither would I, <laughs> because there's not much there's not much horror left that I haven't seen. So. No. No. Mandalorian, I be you know how much both of us have been beaming on for this since the finish of season one. Oh god, maybe we uh, maybe might have to do a a quick rewatch of Mandalorian before season two comes out. I think I'd I'd want to watch the last couple episodes again. Yeah, um, just to refresh because I kind of still have it in my mind, but not as coherently as I'd like it. Yeah, yeah, same here. Um, so yes, maybe we can dabble on that at one point. Yeah. Um, but back to back yes. to the- <laughs> slight tangent. <laughs> so, what were we getting on? What were we, what was the point we were trying to make? Just the allure of the occult in in just oh, cinema. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, is there a kind of a standout movie that you've seen that did like a crazy cool representation of like the occult or demons or anything like that? Um, I don't, probably not so much movies. Uh, more so. Um, for me, more so TV series and, well, obviously because I'm such a fucking, well, I don't know what you call it, a geek or a weeb or whatever you want to call it. Um, but, a lot of an- <laughs> but a lot of animes. Like, I've watched a lot of animes where it's very occult-centric. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, I just really, I just really dig it. I just like anything to do with the occult. So for those anime fans out there, what would you consider as your favourite representations kind of like occult and demons at, in anime series? Oh, there's so many. Um, but one of my stands- standouts would have to be one called Blue Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Fucking love that series and the way they, I guess, they presented like certain demons in that. This isn't an anime, but it's, it's I guess, very demonised in, in its own sort of content is um, the Diablo series. Fucking love the way they they uh, I guess they introduce and present demons to you, but as in the, the game of Diablo, yes. Oh, okay. But yeah, it really yeah, goes yeah. into the kind of the I guess the the law of um, proper lords of hell and demons and the war with the angels and just ah, oh, it's, fuck, it's so in depth. It's crazy. It's so yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think for me, just one of the best representations 
of, I suppose, demonic slash possession ideas was the exorcism of Emily Rose. Like, mm-hmm. I got such a kind of in-depth look at the way, you know, because I think initially, like, when we think of the devil, you initially mm. think of, you know, the Big different Big red names. guy with horns and a, exactly and a right and flames. But, you know, w- with possession, there were so many different names for the demon inheriting this girl. Yeah. And, you know, you think there's so many different names for the devil, Beelzebub and, you know, God, it's endless. Yeah. But then, like you were mentioning before, there's kind of like the general and the lords of hell as well. And getting an expose on those, it Mm. just opened my eyes. I'm like, oh, my God, I've never really thought about that. Like, we always think of the devil. Yeah. And and one of of the ones that I guess I'm surprised you didn't mention, it's probably one of the standouts, I would say, you're going to go, oh, my God, yes, when I mention this. But Hellraiser. Oh, Jesus, yes. Oh, my God. You know, not kind of like the Lord of Hell, but one of the kind of the head honchos of Hell in, in demon mythology. So it's it's just a cool topic to watch and be part of. 100%. And I think, like, you know, especially now, there's so many different representations because you think of Hell and some people kind of portray the devil as in this, you know, seductive you know full of desire kind of way lucifer lucifer exactly right yeah yeah but then you got you know the complete polar opposite of hellraiser who is all about pain and flesh and you know kind of tearing a soul apart like Mm. i love that side of hell because that's i feel like that's more of an accurate representation whereas some people like to romanticize the idea of oh the devil you know yeah. ooh, i sold my soul to the devil i don't Bedazzled. know why i did it i bedazzled i'd sell my soul to her as well though oh fuck i did when i was watching the movie i sold my soul all over the screen mm. <laughs> mm, it was a messy cleanup afterwards oh lord <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> I, bed- I bedazzled my screen. Yuck. Oh, I bedazzled oh. my undies. Fuck, yuck. Yuck. But yeah, yeah, but you can see the appeal. Yes, right? definitely. Just, it has that appeal that you just you want to watch it. And tell me if I'm wrong, but do you know what I started getting a slight inkling of when mm-hmm. you know how the possession was kind of coming out of the phone and it sucked the souls into the phone? Yeah. I felt like that was kind of a little, you know, kind of play on the addiction to phones. Like, I loved that real life implementation of just how, I guess, like, this was like a social commentary on how everyone's so yes. addicted to their phones. And that something that ludicrous and that sort of stupid could be a thing. It's like, that's kind of scary, but really cool at the same time. And it made me wonder, like, did the directors go in with the intention to provide a social commentary on something like that? Because there were scenes where, you know, the souls got, like, when they were initially getting sucked into the phone towards the end, and then they were getting pulled back out because obviously they'd captured the demon. Mm. And then they just went back to normal, you know, sitting on the bus or a girl's taking, you know, a bunch of girls taking a selfie. And it's like nothing had happened. Yeah. And it just made me wonder about, the incredible addiction to people have of looking at their screens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I guess that's one part of it that I actually loved. And just that social aspect of it, I thought that was like really well done. 
And I think that's something that, you know, Australian cinema tends to do. Like, there's always some kind of undertone in a lot of the cinema I've watched in which they provide some kind of, you know, main message through it or some kind of social commentary. There's always kind of layers to the film because I suppose they don't have this huge grounding to work off where it's, you know, a massive entertainment blockbuster. So they mm. kind of need layers and something with a bit more depth to carry its own. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Mm, mm. Um, in terms of the story itself, did you feel like it all made sense to you? Like, was it easy to follow for you? Oh, yeah. I, I thought it was actually really easy to follow. I would agree with you. And But like I said to you last night, you know, some people, um, including myself, may feel that the end was a bit rushed and a bit messy at times. I thought that there were parts throughout the entire movie that felt rushed. Um, I feel like the whole sort of introduction um, that the main character, Howard, played by Ben O'Toole, um, gets introduced to the whole necromancer kind of sect I thought yeah. that was pretty rushed. It didn't really get explained in depth enough. Like you had that kind of, I guess, that little sort of bit at the start where you have David Wenham's voiceover explaining who the necromancers are and who the demons are and yeah. explaining the whole backstory. But just that little bit more, I guess, I don't know what the hell to explain it, but just a little bit more explanation as to why Howard is so special. No, it makes know? sense. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really explain why he's so special. It's just he is. Yeah, we never kind of got an inkling of where it all started. Like, you get a bit of a backstory on that David's obviously the son of Monica Bellucci in the movie, who's yeah. kind of like the ultimate queen of the demons, you know, capturing all the souls. Yeah, but, but she, but like they explained in the movie, she started off as a necromancer. Exactly. From, from a noble family. And you get kind of you know, the idea that she fell off the wagon and fair enough, all that. But yeah. I feel like with a bit more exploration and depth into David's character and kind of setting it up, it just would have gave the movie a little bit more traction in terms of kind of having a bit more depth to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but did you notice, interesting little thing that I caught, uh, the scene at the start when they're pumping poo um, and his brother... <laughs> <laughs> when his brother, the dick, rolls up. Did you yeah. see who that was? That was, um, who was it again? Uh, that was the the main guy from Wormwood. Wormwood, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Jake Gallagher. Yeah, whether you took note of that, because I was like, his character, I like. I really like him as an actor, because he is and encapsulates exactly what an Australian male is like. Yeah, yeah, and it's cool that they kind of threw that in as almost like a like a cameo sort of thing. Yes, yes, and I think I kind of really re resonated with that because I was like, oh, my God, Wormwood. Um, so it was nice that they're all kind of intertwined in a way because I now wonder with that other movie whether we're going to kind of get a little snapshot of, you know, people that have potentially been in this movie or Wormwood. You know, we're going to want if, – if it's anyone we're going to want to – to have a bit of a a cameo in another Rangy. one. Of, no, no, well, that too. But if it's going to be one of the peeps from Wormwood, I want Leon Burchill to make another appearance. Was that the Aboriginal? Yes, the guy who the guy who played Benny. Oh God, he was funny. I know. I'd love to see him have a cameo in another one of these films. It'd be really cool. 
And listeners, if you haven't already, please watch Wormwood because I'm telling you, it is worth a watch. You will piss yourself laughing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, and even, like, not just for the comedy side of things, it's still a really good um, a zombie apocalypse film in general. I thought I actually really enjoyed it. That, and I think also, and we touched on this in the episode when we spoke, when I was saying before about social commentary, they do a really nice kind of, you know, homage to Aboriginal culture and talking about, you know, the ancestors and uh, living off the land. I really like that incorporation because it's such a defining characteristic of Australia that now it's becoming an essential part of the cinema as well. You know, I'm surprised with kind of like, I guess, wanting to explore the whole Aboriginal culture and that sort of thing, that they haven't gone into the realm of like doing, let's say, like a 10,000 BC style Aboriginal film. Um, know what I mean? Sort of like, I know, getting, I know, like doing a story of like a, like an Aboriginal warrior tribe and I don't know, something along those sort of lines. I reckon that'd be really cool to see. Yeah, but I suppose the hard part would be to kind of cast that without kind of seeming too uh, kind of unreal or inauthentic mm-hmm. because you think about it, for you, you could get potentially a really great Aboriginal cast, mm. but it's then you wonder, are they going to do and really kind of create the right depiction of what life was like because you think about it they've done movies about the stolen generation and you know i look at rabbit proof friends there's so many amazing aboriginal movies like there's so many but i would love to see that idea as well what you're saying and kind of explore that exactly i'm not talking more like a kind of exposing people to the culture not just that alone but also giving it that kind of action movie feel Ah, know what I mean? Oh, yeah. How's this for an idea? Okay, so we've seen white settlers, you know, wrecking the Aboriginal culture when they landed. Yeah, they could so do kind of like a, a what would you, a counter kind of movie where it's the Aboriginals, you know, taking charge of the situation and kicking these people off the coast and setting it up for like an action movie. I I don't know. It'd just be a cool premise. Yeah, that could work. Um, but it's definitely I something th- to explore. Yeah, and even the idea of um, I'd like to see kind of like a live action of their ancestors, you know, when they talk about the rainbow snake and all this kind of stuff. Mm. I'd actually like to see the portrayal of what that looks like in cinema from an, an Aboriginal director or kind of consultation with an Aboriginal tribe or something like yeah. that. I just think it'd be yeah. super cool. Yeah, that would be very cool. Anyways, back to yes. the movie. Yeah. So out of the out of the cast, who was a standout for you? Obviously, I found the most enjoyment out of watching kind of the dynamic between Rangi and yep. Howard. Oh yeah. Rangi was a fucking great character. Uh played by uh I don't know if I'm gonna pronounce this correct. Good but, luck. Uh Epine Bob Surveyor. Okay. I think that's how but you say his first name. Say, I'm not sure, say it but... like a Kiwi. Say it like a Kiwi. Epine Bob Surveyor. Okay, that makes more sense now. I think. Yeah, <laughs> that was terrible. Let's that run was with fucking it. Let's terrible. Run with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he was fucking. He was fantastic. I actually really liked his performance in that film. I loved the scene when he was a wraith in the hospital. Oh, that was fucking brilliant. And like when he smushed up his face after he got done over Ooh. in the tunnels. How's my face? How's it look? <laughs> <laughs> Is it better? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my god! So it just felt like he was very. He seemed very natural. He didn't seem there was no be, overacting. No, it didn't feel like he was overacting in it. He just felt, just felt like he was just being himself. Really, just like, just sort of really not freaking out about his situation. Just being kind of very. How do you describe it? Just sort of accepting it for what it is. What it is is like. Oh yeah, I can do that shit now. This is cool. And- like, <laughs> And I suppose the combination with, like I was saying before, the dynamic between him and Howard, they just had a really good balance on screen where it was believable. Like, it wasn't yeah. overacted. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I think I've seen Howard in a few other movies where he's played kind of like a borderline serial killer in a movie called Snowtown, I think. I don't know. Yeah. And for me, he's very, very believable. Like, there is... You know, I think you've got the upper echelon of Australian actors. Okay. And then you're going to find like the second string actors that are kind of, they pop up here and there and whatever. But I was just so impressed with them too. And then Monica Bellucci's parts was kind of like, she does the same sort of character in most movies, I find. Yeah. Yeah. Just that very strong, domineering type character. She can dominate it's like a me really, any day of the like week. A really powerful woman. Mm, yummy. Mm. And not to mention, like she'd be in her sixties now, and she's still hot as ass. Uh, well, she was born in sixty-four, so that makes her what seventy? So fifty, fifty-six. Yeah, and still smoking hot. Exactly. So that was nice to have that to look at. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, I love the sisters. Yes, the two sisters that in the movie were great. Now, man, you had opposing views on this. You seem to like Molly a lot more, played by right. Caroline Ford. Um, whereas I liked the other sister, Turkle. Weird name. Apart um, from the shit name. <laughs> yeah, uh, played by Tess Horbridge. Yeah, it, they just provided kind of something fresh. I really like their characters. Yeah. I think it's it's a it's a good it's a good thing to kind of put these two in, make them strong female role models without rubbing it in your face. Yes, know what I mean. Good, good point. Good point. I never thought of it like that. They didn't they didn't scream like "oh, girl power" and "I'm a girl, I can do anything" like that sort of thing. They were just the characters, and they were badass, and they fucking. They just brought they just brung it. It was really really well done on their part. Do you know what vibes I was getting from both of them? What? Very, very much Resident Evil Miliovovich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of strength without overbearing. Yeah. Like, and feminine without being too overly feminine, if you, yes. if you get me. Yes, I like it. And I yeah. like that there's kind of a real niche market now for those kind of characters because I think for a period of time there, cinema was starting to become a little bit overrun with the you know, female power, like we need to specifically highlight that this female character is strong and she's independent and she can, she's capable of doing anything. Yeah. We get that. There's no need to kind of provide an expose on that and do a full movie showcasing female power because there are so many other times in movies and you think, go back to the 70s, Aliens. Yeah. Ripley, like name a stronger female character. <laughs> So uh, the only thing that comes you know, to mind is um, Kate Beckinsale in Underworld. Yes, that too. Um, fuck, I can't can't believe I've forgotten her name. Uh, Miller, 
Mila fucking oh the, Kunis. No, the chick from Resident Evil. I just said it, Mila Jovovich. Yeah, that one. Sorry. Yeah. So that's that's impressive because I kind of like you said, T. It, it's so nice to see strength without overbearing. Yeah, exactly. Don't need to highlight it. We know they're badass. We know they're kick-ass. They can handle themselves. Let's move on. Yeah, and it really just showed it not so much with their dialogue. It just showed it with their action scenes. Like 100%. They didn't need to say it. It just they did it. And it was like, oh, that's fucking cool. Like some of their, like some of their scenes where they kind of, when they're just mowing down demon after demon, you're like, fuck, these two are fucking sick. Yeah, and I suppose as well, when Token Wolf, your your mate. Um, <laughs> Tokemul. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone that is an international listener, Tokemul is like some country town in Australia, but Tony likes has an affinity for Tokemul in the movie. Um <laughs> But when she becomes green screen green oh. skinned yeah, Green Scrim. Green screamed. Tony, I'm gonna leave you to it. You can finish off the episode. <laughs> Shut up. Don't be <laughs> Um, yeah, but, she yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. When she got that kind of demon body, she, oh god, she was so fucking badass! Like, holy crap, so good, so well, good. Again, her scene going through, going through the building, just mowing down all these fucking henchmen was just fucking. Um, it was so cool, so very cool. Hundred percent. I just loved when she finished emptying the clips from the two pistols, throws them down, just rips out the shotgun, and just starts going to town. Like, oh my god, that was cool. Yes, simple but effective action sequences. Yeah, and you can tell they're taking, I guess, inspiration from like older action movies where the kind of the main hero would have that sort of scene where they're like, "All right, let's have the main the main character fucking just burst into a building and just mow down like like pawn after pawn with just gun after gun after gun." They just gave her that kind of scene. Like, "Yep, awesome. That's what I want to see." I think I would have also liked to have seen kind of, we always see this in action movies, that kind of preparation montage sequence. Mm. Because I find that just adds where, like, the audience can get really involved in that. Like, yes, let's do it. Yeah, especially when they're getting all the weapons ready and going over the plan and that little bit of training and that sort of stuff. It gets you pumped up. It does, it does. And what would you say, like, I was just thinking about it, the Matrix, when Neo's training, is probably one of my favourite montage sequences. Yeah, 100%. That is just ultra badass. So fucking cool. So very cool. I'd actually... We should do that one episode and talk about the best movie montage sequences. <laughs> That's going to be a good one. That would require a bit of research, though, because I, it'd be a lot to think over. Yeah, exactly right. It would, but at least it's an idea for a, a future rep. Yeah, exactly. Look, let's address, I guess, let's call it the elephant in the room. Go. The ending. Yeah. Well, do you want to kind of give the audience uh, a little bit of a rundown how it ended? It's so rushed. Um, so basically, the whole thing is that they capture, I guess it feels like they did rip this off a little bit from Ghostbusters, where they basically trap demons into this, basically this capture cube. It, right. it annoyed me because it was like the boxes in Hellraiser. Very close to the puzzle box. Yeah. Like it was mixing the puzzle box with the ghost traps from Ghostbusters. Literally. It's the exact right. same thing. So they capture them in these ghost boxes. Then they take it back to their lair. They've got this device that can 
basically transport the so- the demon soul from the cube into this like this jet ge- like this vat of gel that recreates them, and then they got this big fuck off gun which they call Betsy, um, which is just like a big fuck off plasma cannon, and blow them to smithereens as soon as they materialize, and that's yeah, how they uh, kill after them. Howard summons them. Yeah, but that's how they've gone about disposing of demons for God knows how long. But they do that at the end, but the the chick hesitates when she goes to fire at the demon and then puts up a bit of a fight. Howard ends up sort of doing almost like a much a Star Wars force blast into this I don't even know what it's called. Yeah. I guess that turbine looking thing, whatever the fuck yeah, it was. Pretty much. And you think, okay, it's all over and done with. But then she manages to come back somehow and then put up a bit more of a fight. And then they end up killing her by kind of, I don't know, just... Yeah, so this is my I'm struggling point. to just put it back together. It was just that rushed. I'm like, everything just went so quick. It's sort of hard to keep up. Yeah, I think if they had to simplify that ending, it just would have had a lot more effect to it. Yeah. Kill it. It's done. Guy gets girl. They move on. You know, he's happy with his life. He's now a demon hunter or a necromancer, whatever he wants to be. Fine. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for a nice, simplistic ending that we all understood. This one, I just kind of sat there and I was like, "What was that?" Yeah, it's like it's like the mate, like Monica Bellucci, got basically an extra life in that boss fight. She got respawned. Yeah, just like she she went to the gulag and come back out. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it just felt like, yeah, it just it didn't, I don't know, it's just like they tried to overcomplicate it, but then we're running out of time, so they had to make it really quick. It's just like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, it didn't fly with for me. And not to mention the kind of the, the design of her demonized form was a bit... I felt like uh, it literally stepped out of doom. Yeah, actually, you're, you're right, you're right. It just, it was Povo. And I don't mean Doom the movie. I mean literally Doom Windows 95. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not as pixelated, but. I was going to say, as pixelated as shit, but like just made for modern time movies. And it just annoyed me. I was like, this is bad. It felt like that part of the movie is when they were running a bit low on funds. So they kind of did the best they could with what they had left. Also, another comparison. Pick of Destiny, um, uh, greatest song in the world. Remember the demon in that? Hey, I love that demon played by David Grohl. Thank you very much. I fucking love that demon. No, but just saying, like, as in kind of a piss poor demon. No, that wasn't a piss poor demon. That was a fucking great demon. You shut your mouth. Yeah, but you're just a biased prick now. I am, so shut up. You shut up. No, you shut up. No, you do. No, you. Mm. Anyway. But yeah, it just... (laughs) it felt out of place. Yeah, it definitely did. It just, like we well said, it's rushed. Did, how well they did with the, for example, the design of the rates. Those the rates looked really incredible. Yeah. Like that scene in the uh, in the tunnel when the wraith grabbed Howard and it was kind of like flickering, black and white. Yeah, and with the wraith's face, I was like, "Wow, yeah. that's impressive." Yeah, and you didn't really know what it was doing, um, and I think they did downplay that a bit because at least. It would have been cool to see at least that when they were getting attacked by the Wraith, once they kind of got it off them, they would have, like, scratches on their face or on their body from trying to hack away at them. That would have been cool. Yeah, very much so. But missed opportunity. Yeah. Oh, well, what do you do? What do you do? Like, overall, like, I still thought it was 
It okay, was a so good movie, and it was something that I would definitely revisit. Out of 10, T, what would you give it? Uh, I'd probably give it like a six, six and a half. Okay. Um, I'd probably give it a five, just because five purely for the action sequences, everything we discussed in terms of kind of its pros. Yeah. Cons, bit of the messy ending. It was kind of very condensed with a very convoluted story and like demons in internet. It's just not something that my typical choice would go down. Yeah. But still, like I said, like I said to you last night, it was pleasant to watch. It's easy entertainment. Mm. I wasn't going in with the intention to critique it. Yeah. But I've definitely come out and gone and just said, yep, I enjoyed that. Yeah, definitely. And I've noticed that after discussing certain elements of the film, it had a bit more more depth than what I first realized. Like, yes, oh, okay, yes, very cool. much so. And that's one of the main reasons why I've given it the score it has. Like if I yeah. had gone with this, like with what I had seen last night, I probably would have thought, okay, yeah, it's about a five. Like that's probably all it's worth. But then after yeah. discussing it, it's like, you know what? That was actually better than I thought. Yeah. And yeah, again, no, it's one you. of those ones that I actually would go and rewatch. Like I would rewatch that movie. Unlike, for example, last week when we did VWF. VFW. VFW. Sorry, VFW, I keep getting it wrong. But yeah, that one I wouldn't rewatch. This one, no, I there's would. no need to. Like this one, I would. Like I wouldn't watch it on my own volition. But let's say if someone's like, oh, what's this movie? I'm like, yeah, I'll, let's watch it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't actively go and do it yourself. But if someone nah. suggested, hey, let's watch it, then yes, I would do the same. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, look, guys, you know, it's not, again, everyone's taste. But if you are up for something kind of a really left of field journey, um, I feel like something, this is definitely something that Sean would go, oh, I might dabble in this one. <laughs> Shawnee gets a shout out again. Shawnee does get a shout out because he's been a loyal <laughs> follower for so long now. So is this something that we should start delving into uh, in our episodes where we do the honourable mentions for those loyal listeners and fans that have been interacting with us on our social medias? I think it really should because, like I said, the Facebook's been, uh, you know, being actively engaged in. Um, and what I'm finding is certain people really make an effort and I think honourable mentions should become part and parcel of this show. I think so. So, um, well, obviously we say it more weeks than not. Uh, big shout out to Shawnee for, um, for always being an active participant of ours. Always got a good insight and not only kind of responding to posts, but also putting in the kind of suggestions to us and asking us questions as well. I love when he posts questions on the, um, what's it called, on the page. I know. No, it's it's always it's always fun to get involved when he uh, poses us a question because it's good to have that kind of interaction with our listeners. Yeah, no, I definitely think that over the next, like, let's say month that I make it kind of a thing now that I will do an honourable mention segment. I think, I think so. I think that's definitely warranted. So have we got a couple of others that, um, that deserve a mention? Uh, well, I think there was a little kind of cute engagement that you had with Liam. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to mention that. I only noticed tonight, and that goes to uh, Liam Flynn. Uh, just got to say, mate, if you are listening... I noticed tonight that you are a man of culture, so I tip my hat to you, sir. <laughs> Obviously, we've got to give a shout-out to Chris. Um, always pretty active and 
always responding to our posts. So definitely shout out to Chris. Yes. And that's Chris K, by the way. Yep. There's a few Chris's out there. Um, also uh, to James, a.k.a. Jobber. Again, my Papa Bear, always uh, getting in and not only commenting, but uh, taking taking uh, time to answer it, like to join in on the polls and the voting and that sort of stuff, which is always really good to see. Also, uh, Paul as yep. well. Good old Paul as, Martin. Yeah, he's been yep. at Michael as well. Yeah, definitely. And part I... Of team, part of the fam from work. Pleasantly surprised to see Stevie making a yeah. few contributions here and there. Exactly right. Yep. So it is going great. I uh, really like it. And like I said, you know, I've been a little bit busy in the last couple of weeks, but I'll try and get a little bit more active again Yeah. and uh, start engaging people a little bit more. But hopefully with our little shout out segment that uh, might inspire you to jump on and kind of contribute. And just to make sure that we don't miss one other person, I have to give a shout out to uh, Mr. Ange. Oh, yep. And Ange, I'm so happy that you're what you're the only person that's responded to something that I put in an episode. I can't remember if it was the previous episode or the episode before about getting Brad to do the formalities. Thanks for responding, Ange. You're an absolute legend. And he was the only one. So I said a minimum of three and I would I do know. it, which you failed. Fail, <sighs> fail, fail. You let me down. You let me down, all of you. Yeah. Except so- for Ange. Essentially, we have about three people listening to the podcast. Great work. <laughs> <laughs> we'll listen to the episode all the way through. Well, yeah, that's true. So, which yeah. they obviously bring up the minutes for us. Yeah. Rightio. So, I'm going to, speaking of formalities, if you haven't done so already, guys, be sure to go like and subscribe us on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, or whatever other podcast platform you use. You can also follow us on our social medias on Instagram, Rebels Without a Clue 03, Twitter, Rebels Without a 1, Facebook, Rebels Without a Clue podcast, and also on the Generation Random Network, Facebook page, and Discord channel. Brilliant. And I suppose I just want to, you know, say that after what? How long? It's well well over two years now that we've been doing this. Is it two years now? uh, Well, August 2018. So we just passed it a month ago. So a little kind of... Small anniversary to us for have been going for over two years. Yay! So, yeah. We did, we've done a thing for two we years. We have. We have. We've stuck at it. We've been committed to it. And, you know, we're still failing. Exactly. I know. <laughs> Fucking hell. Just, just, we are the epitome of when you should quit, you should quit, quit now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. But, yeah. No, look, I'm, I'm, happy that this is still continuing on and like i said you know we've got to be persistent with it because you know we're working towards like the facebook is now really kicking off and the listens on anchor is starting to take off as well now a little bit more so you know i'm just loving the fact that we're on devil numbers at the moment that's always really cool no 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 tony we've passed that now no that was cool it was. It was nice, as of last we've... night. As of last night on the anchor platform, we were on six hundred and sixty-six listens. So that's Tony, was... would you like to know what we're on now after today? Please do. Six eighty-one. Ooh, hello. So we had a nice little jump. That's fucking hey overnight. Not bad. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so I suppose yeah, that's a wrap. Yeah, I reckon that's a bit of a wrap. So until next time, guys. Fucking duck. Cut. <laughs>